0: Welcome to Frost Sessions, the Frost School of Music's official podcast. In this episode, our Music Industry Program Director, Professor Sharona Elton talks with Joel Andrew, president of CD Baby, one of the world's largest distributors of music from independent recording artists. Together they explore the way the access to the marketplace has changed for artists over the past 20 years, what the key turning points have been along the way, and what the options are today thank you so much for joining us and remember to stay tuned to frost sessions hello my name is serona elton i'm a professor of music industry at the university of miami frost school of music welcome to this episode of frost sessions when you enjoy listening to a recording by your favorite artist It may never occur to you to think about what it took for that recording to be available to you. You could sum up the activities into four categories. The recording had to be produced. The recording had to be turned into a digital or physical product. The recording had to be distributed and the recording had to be promoted so that you knew of its existence. Once upon a time, these things could not be done without the help of a record label which provided funding, relationships, and expertise. But as each of these activities has changed over time, opportunities have grown significantly for independent artists, that's those not signed to a record label, to take charge of their recording career. As I considered how to take you through an exploration of this topic, something rather obvious jumped out at me. CD Baby is a company that was started in 1998 And its corporate history, especially the services it has made available to artists, provides the perfect lens through which to learn about these changes. So I have invited Joel Andrew, the president of CD Baby, to join me for a discussion of this recording artist access evolution. Starting in the mailroom and bouncing to every department along the way, Joel has worked at CD Baby for 18 years. His background as a touring, in other words, starving musician, gave him great insight to enhance and add to the fantastic services and support that CD Baby is known for. Completing his undergrad and law degree while working full-time at CD Baby, Joel was the General Counsel and SVP of Business and Legal Affairs prior to stepping in as the president in 2020. His focus is to make the business everything an independent artist needs to be successful on their own terms. Welcome, Joel.
1: Thanks, Sorona. Nice intro and good background on, yeah, the landscape of the industry and where we're at today.
0: Thank you so much, so much for joining me. Um, you know, I was hoping that we could take, take our, our listeners, our watchers, through a tour of the history of the distribution of recordings and the sort of access and control that was available to artists at different points in history. Um, so I'll tackle what comes before CD Baby. Um, so if we look at the time period before 1998, right looking backwards then generally artists needed a record label to fund those those activities that i mentioned at the beginning of the show um you know especially with respect to music production before the 1980s um it really was the case that you needed a professional recording studio in order to make a record. Um, In the 1980s, the tech became cheaper, but the quality still was not great. By the early 1990s, the first digital audio workstations, as we call them, um, using this cool new software called Pro Tools started becoming popular, but they were still really expensive and needed professional expertise to operate. But towards the end of the 90s, That had changed and access to music production tools became more affordable and more widespread and that started opening up opportunities for independent artists. So now if we, if we kind of, and we, we, let's be clear, we fast forward through almost 100 years of history to get to 1998, but that's only because we, we have a finite amount of time. So I am skipping over, you know, 100 years or so of technology, but let's, let's fast forward our audience to 1998, um, the launch of CD Baby. So, so what led to the launch of CD Baby? What can you tell us about what was happening at that time?
1: Yeah, sure thing. So the founder of CD Baby is a man named Derek Sivers. Uh, he was an independent musician. What I mean by an independent musician really quickly is there's kind of the major label artist who they own your sound recordings and they own your publishing, the two separate rights to each song. Uh, independent musicians, uh, in 1998, they basically anybody who wasn't signed to a major label, you are an independent musician. Uh, Some of those made a lot of money, some of those were like my bands and made very little. So Derek Sivers, uh, he was a decently selling artist. Uh, He was playing the college circuit, getting out there, selling his CDs, uh, doing very well. And there was a local music store that he wanted to get his CD to be sold through. And they said, hey, uh, we love your music, you're a great guy, but we need to hear from your distributor. And he said, what is a distributor? Uh, how do I get a distributor? Asked all the right questions. And ultimately what it came down to was uh, there was something in between a major label artist. And if you had kind of a minor label or an indie label, you would sign with them and then they would have some sort of structural arrangement with the distributor. Those distributors were largely owned by the major labels. So it was really inaccessible. So for Derek, who was successful as an independent musician to have a distributor, it's actually kind of hard for him to do. So 1998, he thought, why don't I create my own distribution company? This was during the, uh, I guess, first phase of the dot-com craze. So why not create a website music distribution company? So he figured out all the boxes he had to check in order to just get his CD into this local CD store. And they said, uh, "You know, we need you to have a merchant account. We need you to have so many CDs available, all these different things. He just created his own distribution company and it was the first independent music distribution company that was available on on the website. He was actually selling a CD there as well as he finally got a CD into the local store. As he was doing that, he heard from countless other artists that were going, you can just create your own distribution company. Can you work with my CD? I would love that as well. So he just kind of started opening it up to all of his colleagues you know if you're a touring musician you know probably a lot of musicians that are looking for the same things that you are so yeah started off with something like him and a few others and then eventually 35 artists and kept growing and growing um started getting interviewed again. com era it was kind of funny if you were the first person to sell something on the internet before anybody the first person to sell umbrellas before anybody else uh, that was really revolutionary so Derek basically revol not basically, he revolutionized the entire music distribution industry by making CDbaby.com. So started off with just an immediate need that he had, but it grew into what it is now today. We work with a million artists who are getting the same types of services that Derek created uh, over 20 years ago. So that's how it started. It's, it's
0: really, is it's an amazing story. And in fact, he also, um, by the way, put out a, um, a book, an audio book, an ebook, uh, a little bit diving into the history of that. So, so once he got it up and running, can you help, help everybody understand how exactly did it work at the time? Like what exactly, you know, what did an artist have to do? Then what did CD Baby do? Um, how were the mechanics worked out?
1: Yeah, so Derek was really smart, is really smart, and knew that the people he was going to work with were independent musicians. They weren't sophisticated business technocrats. They were... Uh, guitar players who are trying to figure out how to sell their CD better. So he made it really, really simple. All you did was you paid an upfront submission fee, or you would go to the website, create an account, uh, send in five CDs with a $35 check. And side note, our price isn't much different today, uh, 20 years later. But yeah, so you would send in $35 check, five CDs, and then ship them to our warehouse in Portland, Oregon, which is where I was working at the time. Uh, And then we would give you a Uh, At that time, it was before this distribution to iTunes and Spotify and all those sorts of things. And we'll get to that later, I'm sure. But at this time, it was just, we created websites, individual websites for artists. So that way they didn't have to create their own website. We gave them a page, send all their fans to that page, very easy URL. They could also call us and we'd sell the CDs for them or whatever. Uh, So yeah, you would just sign up. Send us some money. Send us your CDs. we put them in the warehouse. We'd make a website for you. And then some artists started selling millions of CDs to us. Some, like my bands, sold far less.
0: So, so I have a slight UN story as well that I can just say, you know, uh, harping on how amazingly easy it was to use CD Baby, it still is, but at those days, you know, we have a student organization called Kane Records. It's like our own little independent record label in the Frost School of Music. And, you know, what? Um, back in the day, when we put a CD album together, we would make it available through, through CD Baby. And the, I don't wanna like gloss over some of these really critical points that made all the difference. The fact that you only had to send in five, <laughs> Only had to send in five CDs or a very low number. I think you said five. Um, yeah. that, that is huge because there was a point in time not terribly long before then, you know, where to even get into play in this market, you know, you were manufacturing some minimum number of units that, you know, what I explain to my students is before I could sell 10,000 CDs. What did I have to do? And they always say, Is that a trick question? I'm like, I had to pay to manufacture 10,000 right. Um, And so, you know, the, the, the barriers to entry, the costs involved. In CD manufacturing, you know, if you, let's say, required that somebody had to send you a thousand CDs, you know, that would have eliminated a certain group of independent artists who said, you know, I can't afford necessarily to manufacture larger quantities. Um, So the fact that you only had to send in a really small number of units and that it was, you know, $35 dollars. It, it really, that was accessible to everybody. I mean, that, that, that really made it so, so easy, I think, at the time.
1: Yeah, that really speaks to me as well. Yeah, uh, $10,000 or a 10,000 unit initial pressing versus this was also when CDRs were starting to be a thing. Uh, they were cost prohibitive to buy a drive like that in the early 2000s, but your studio probably, they were making you a little master. They could probably make you five masters. You'd sketch out your own little artwork, put it into a jewel case and send those in. And then what was really nice was uh, instead of yeah, 10, $15,000 to make a CD pressing, you did something out of the studio uh, which shifted more with Pro Tools and being more accessible eventually down the road. But yeah, you had five CDs and then you could learn like, do you have an audience? Do you, can you sell CDs or is it just your aunts and uncles buying it uh, because they would send in five and then it, if they were out of it within a week, we just knew that, oh yeah, we're just going to order more. We'd send them a bunch of money. They would go press their CDs. So yeah, really user-friendly. And that was the, the goal from the beginning was let's not try to find really successful artists and distribute their music. It was, let's make sure that these artists are heard. And if they need to do more, we'll help them do that.
0: Yeah. And I think another thing that happened at that time period that it was so... So significant as well you know nowadays we talk a lot about data right like that's I can't get through a music industry conference or meeting or anything without talking about data. Um, And you know today more than ever it's true that artists have access to data about their fans in ways they never did before, however, as early as you know the earliest days of CD baby when you would sell those five CDs. Um, CD Baby shared information with the artists about who those people were, you know, so you could know if most of these CDs sold in the New York City area, maybe you should go play a concert there. Or, you know, just the the access to information was also really unprecedented. And and I have to say, you know, through all of the physical sales, um, you know, a lot of years of physical sales activity, um, having access to information about where those CDs sold Within the United States, the the city, the state, that's not information that just every artist has, you know, you have to pay for special software to get that information like SoundSkin. Um, But, you know, these are little things that are just kind of get buried in the history, but they are monumental in terms of changing the the ability to start really understanding where your fans are and, and how to make that work in your favor.
1: Right, and I think that uh, both it uh, it was revolutionary uh, to to parallel uh, when the band on my the label that my band was on uh, they just had units pressed and then they sold and then they cut us a check and we didn't know should we be touring Austin really hard New York really hard what where to your point where are these coming from but what was even cooler at CD Baby was we had the actual email address and we would unless the customer wanted us to do otherwise we would forward the email address to the artist. And then something really cool happened. Uh, We started giving advice to the artists on when to properly reach out to their fan and how to build that fan base, how to build a relationship and rapport with that that fan because really they're buying your music but really they want a piece of you. They want to connect with you and, and be part of your narrative. So we started writing educational pieces for artists about give it a week, give it two weeks, let them love it, let them fall in love with the CD, reach out to them and say, hey, I just a quick note to say, thanks so much for buying my CD. It means the world to me. Uh, Click here to sign up for my, you know, follow me on, this was MySpace days, or even pre that, follow me here, all those sorts of things, Um, and it, it wasn't just like a, that's when it really shifted from not just a tool that artists love that they would tell us that they loved it so much, but it was really like we could engage with artists and empower them to do even more. To your point, yeah, all this stuff seems to be coming from Austin. Have you thought about maybe you need to spend some more time there? Yeah, that data was really... Uh, I kind of forgot about that. Thanks for for bringing that up. You know,
0: artists signed to Sony Sony at the same time did not have the email addresses of everybody who bought all their CDs and Tower Records and Virgin Records. So that level of data was really, it's really mind-blowing when you put it in the context of of what's been available to who and when. Um, I couldn't let that fly by us. You know, I'm a data data nerd. Uh, So I'm
1: like, it's amazing. a A little note in there. Was there was this, uh, I was on the phones then a lot too. And so I was, there was, we would be open until like 11 o'clock or midnight sometimes. I don't know why, but there was just some guy who called in who said, hey, I don't know if your company's a scam. I've sold 200 CDs through you. Uh, You're paying me, so that's great. But I've sold 200 CDs through you uh, to Japan. And it was this rapper from like the 90s who had already retired it was like, I'm uh, out of Oakland and was like, I, I, this isn't working out for me, but I have all these CDs. So sure, I'll just sell them through CD Baby. Kept getting picked up in, in Japan. And he was like, what do I, is this real? Is this legit? And uh, we stayed in touch. And eventually uh, he reached out to a, uh, a venue in Japan that was like, we've totally heard of you. We know who you are. We would love to pay for you to fly out to Japan and tour. This guy was like done with music, thought that he was over. Uh, was kind of like focusing on this next phase in his career or whatever. And then he was like, this is crazy. Uh, Through this data, I'm able to follow up with Japan, had a lucrative uh, career out there. Just uh, to be able to find new markets like that. And it was really globalization uh, kicking in, which was pretty big, uh, which was pretty new, was especially for avant-garde artists or artists that were kind of like, you know, a label would never pick them up and really give them the appreciation that they need. Or they would play a town that just kind of doesn't have a whole lot of fans for Django pop country or something like that. You can get that out to the right communities and then you can see, oh, they love me in Japan or, oh, they love me in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska or whatever that is. And your fans are out there and we were just starting to learn that then that there's a market for anything. You just got to figure out what they are.
0: Exactly. So, all right. So I'm going to stop my little data, you know, trip down memory lane for a second and I'm going to keep us moving on the timeline. So, so CD Baby created in 1998, um, you know, only two years later, the year 2000 was a very, very significant year for the recorded music industry. Uh, by March of 2000, Napster, the, uh, at the time an illegal file sharing service, had more than 20 million recordings available. That's just mind blowing and, and I, I remember exactly th- those days, um, and, and the impact was devastating there's there's no question about that. From that point forward revenue from physical music products steadily declined um, and after the launch of iTunes in 2003 digital revenue started to increase. But it would not be until about 2015 that overall revenue from the recorded um, music side of, of things in the industry started to increase again. You know, it had to kind of hit bottom in 2015. So I want to bring another party into the mix here, right? Another another thing that happened in, in the evolution of disc maker uh, in the evolution of CD Baby. So disc makers, um, disc makers was a company started in 1946 by Ivan Ballin, Um, and you'll correct me if I say that wrong, um, and the, the Ballin Record Company. So he created the Ballin Record Company and there was not any um, shellac manufacturers in Philly. <laughs> there were no, there were no, you know, 78s, what they called them, on shellac, there were no manufacturers in Philly. So he decided to start his own manufacturing plant. Um, and so 10 years later, he renamed that company Disc Makers. Um, in 1959, it began manufacturing other formats like vinyl, eight tracks, remember those eight tracks? Um, cassettes, which I hear are making a comeback, which is very strange. Um, CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays, you know, they've, they've expanded over the years to manufacture sort of every kind of physical product out there. Um, and it was interesting at the time that they started connecting with, with CD Baby, you know, d- despite this sort of digital distribution revolution that really took off with iTunes, Disc Makers was still successfully filling that, that physical product manufacturing need of artists right throughout the 2000s. And then 2008 Disc Makers bought CD Baby. Um, And I will also give a little props. Disc Makers was one of the very first sponsors of Arcane Records uh, label. They, um, they actually donated our manufacturing (laughs) circa 1995. Um, But so, so 2008, they bought CD Baby. And so, So why do you think the sale of CD Baby to Disc Makers made sense at that time? You know, what was happening in the music industry and with physical music distribution that made sense for for that kind of a partnering to happen?
1: Yeah, so uh, this is around when I started stepping in about 2003, starting to hear more about Disc Makers. So CD Baby, again, you would send us five CDs. Uh, We were CDBaby.com. We We sold largely CDs. Stepping into music or digital distribution, maybe we'll talk about that. But on the physical side, we were a huge retailer of physical CDs, as well as we were a huge, you know, we were working with so many artists at the time, 30 something thousand artists or something and growing consistently uh, every year. And so uh, Derek was really smart and was figuring out, Derek Sivers was figuring out what independent musicians need. Uh, Then this, the, the person who was running Disc Makers, uh, his name is Tony Van Veen. He was a punk rock drummer that converted into uh, a music executive professional. He just he was selling CDs and doing really well at that, and then realized, well, uh, you know, two thousand eight, digital distribution was starting to encroach on the sales that CDs had. So I think he was reading the writing on the wall, but also he suddenly had access to tens of thousands of artists, hundreds of thousands of artists eventually uh, that wanted to buy those CDs from him. So he ultimately wanted the data of the artists and to be able to say, you need five CDs, we can get that for you. And it was also shifting around that time from, uh, you used to only be able to put in an order for a thousand CDs. They started doing short orders, uh, uh, really high-end CDRs or other kind of pressings that they were doing. So that was the, the strategy was, Uh, writing on the wall, let's get into this digital game. CD Baby's doing it right. Oh, another thing that I would say is that Disc Makers was very focused on independent artists. Uh, They did some work for big stuff and all that sort of great stuff, but they were really championing the independent musician cause. So there was a lot of alignment. We were already partnered up with Disc Makers that if you signed up with CD Baby, we'd send them information to Disc Maker, or we'd send the artists information about Disc Makers and how to order. So there was just a lot of writing on the wall, good strategy of being able to have access directly to those artists and it just made sense and they yeah they were the east coast office and we were the portland office and uh yeah it was a good a good little matchup
0: it makes so much sense and you know i, I remember from my own experience in sending off artwork and masters to you know be to have manufacturing done with them um they they Made it so easy yeah. for you to, to do it that, you know, they, they they knew they were not talking to somebody who worked in, you know, production and release planning at a record company and was doing this, you know, for the last decade. They, they very much were, you know, just as as CD Baby was right there in that pocket for independent artists making it easy for them to navigate something that had been you know rather mysterious and just the realm of the industry professionals uh, before then. So it, it makes so much sense. So so then we move it to digital distribution, right So as I mentioned, iTunes launched in 2003 um, and CD baby was invited, you know one of those first batch, batch sort of suppliers in, if you will, um, invited to be a supplier of recordings to iTunes in 2003. Um, And, you know, in other words, right, at that point in time, CD Baby became uh, a digital distributor distributing recordings of their artists to iTunes. You know, what was the significance of that? And that sounds like such a little, like, press, oh, yeah, 2003, CD Baby started studying to iTunes, and then, you know, 2004, we painted the office blue. I I can't even find the right words to describe the importance. You want to attempt to tell people how important it was (laughs) this happened? Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: I would just say that. uh, So all the reports of 2020 suggest that independent content. So, again, you have the major label stuff. You have some stuff kind of in between. That's maybe major label, maybe independent, but it's probably major label. Uh, That's what I would consider it. And then you have independent musicians. Uh, It was the fastest growing sector of music in the industry. So independent musicians are actually taking market share from the majors uh, at an alarming rate. And so now you have CD Baby, you have DistroKid, you have TuneCore, let alone these independent publishers like SongTrust. That entire ecosystem of being an independent, successful musician, uh, Tone Den, Feature FM, Foundy.com, Show.co, that entire world wouldn't exist if it wasn't for CD Baby getting in at iTunes uh, in 2003. So uh, what happened was uh, everybody was, all the majors were really freaked out about Napster and its impact to the industry. Napster was destroying uh, the market share for, for major labels. iTunes says, well, we'll do what Napster does, but we'll monetize it and will give some sort of informal share, or maybe even formal share of our revenues or our stock or whatever it was to incentivize these majors. And so you had the five majors at the time, now you have three, but then you had the five majors and they were the only people who negotiated a license with iTunes because they were getting this mutual exchange. And somehow you got Derek Sivers and CD Baby in there to be the sixth one. And, uh, and if the way that I think about it is it was a choke point for the major labels to get rid of all this independent stuff for once and for all. Uh, they don't want us to encroach on their market shares. I struggle theorists. That's the way they look at it. Um, the five majors were there. If iTunes had moved forward only with majors, and why I say we wouldn't have the entire ecosystem that we have if it wasn't for this move. We had these five majors. If there was nobody else there, and you ha- let's say you had a you know. Dot-com was kind of starting to come back. Uh, You'd say you had a million dollars. Why would you invest it in a website that would distribute content that will never be at the sole place where music is consumed? So I would never invest in that. And then artists wouldn't receive the services that they have. And CD Baby sure would be selling CDs, but we were already seeing that artists are slowing on that. They want digital distribution. They're going to want to be at iTunes, but they can't. And it would be... It would be like what it was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Unless you are a major that had international distribution of content, you're nobody. You're just a local bar band that's never really going to get out there. So that's why I really, I I full-heartedly believe that it was a choke point. And if Derek didn't get CD Baby's catalog into there, none of this would happen. What was really cool was CD Baby made a lot of money for independent musicians that year and continued to increase. And so, of course, if you are an investor and you had a million dollars or you were a, a, a technical visionary about how to develop something new, you could go, I would do what CD Baby did. So we were successful. There was suddenly a boom of competition for independent sector, which is great. I don't. You know, as a president of CD Baby, I want things to be easy and light and all that sort of sort of stuff. But I'm an independent musician, and I want good competition to be there to create the best products for independent musicians. But just to take it back one step, I, uh, how CD Baby got in there. Uh, not only that, Derek was a really good negotiator, and he had a bit of a team that was helping him out with this. Some great, uh, some great people. So in in 1998, when he started. When you would mail in your CD, we would scan the cover artwork, and we would only uh, rip or download the, or you know offload the audio content from the CD for four or five songs for thirty-second clips, just so that way, when we created your website, you can see what you were buying, you could listen to a couple of clips of like, yeah, I kind of want to buy this. Nobody else who was really doing websites was scanning and ripping content at that level. So I came in in 2003, we had 35,000 titles. Derek had just closed this deal because iTunes said, hey, you actually have a a facility, the the, uh, the know-how and the ability to actually provide us digital files of of all that content. This was new. People were scanning and ripping at home, but they weren't doing it at scale. CD Baby knew how to do this. You didn't need all that for a website. This was before anybody really knew that you should, now you you send music anywhere, you get the full album, full catalog, all those sorts of things. But that was before anybody really knew how to do that. So ultimately, Derek was very sophisticated, knew how to make a very passionate pitch to Steve Jobs. But if it wasn't for that infrastructure that we had of being able to work with 35,000 titles and be able to handle the next 35,000 titles, uh, we never would have got in there. And just a side note, that's when I came in. So my first job at CD Baby was to work through the night uh, and scan and rip CDs all day. And, uh or all night, I guess. And uh, yeah, me and maybe four or five other people, we would just work all day, all night, and we would just scan and rip because we had no clue what we were stepping into. We didn't know that this was gonna be this big future-proofing thing. But yeah, that's ultimately how we got into digital distribution to iTunes and how we wouldn't have this independent music sector if it it be what it is, where you're eating market share of majors if you didn't have access to that then.
0: Yeah, you know, it's such an amazing story because to me, from, from the point of view to an independent artist, you know, The problem, the fundamental problem that CD Baby was created to solve was the fact that, you know, he could not get his CDs into the shelves in Tower Records, right? Like there was a barrier to entry. You could not get in the store. You couldn't get in the store without a distribution deal. And and the fact that this, this deal, CD Baby and iTunes meant for all the independent artists going through CD Baby your recording can be right there on iTunes, right next to, you know, Bruce Springsteen, right next to Madonna. Like, you know, you name your Uber, Uber star and people, you know, right there on the same iTunes screen, there you were. Um, that, that, that whole barrier to entry just got obliterated um, by CD baby doing this. And, and, you know, to me, I think so many independent artists, and I hope they listen to this session because, Um, You know, every time you you, you log into whoever your digital distributor is, and I know you said there's competition, but that's what opened the door right it started there because if it hadn't gone that way, you know, independent artists having access to the digital stores. Um, you know, who knows when, if at all, that kind of, you know, uh, that choke point, like you said, would have ever um, started to come apart. It's, it's, um, you just, you can't overstate how important that development was to independent artists getting their music out to their fans everywhere.
1: Yeah. And now you have, in contrast, you have Spotify saying, we need that catalog. You have the next, uh, you know, the boom play out of Africa going, we need that catalog it's a complete opposite of what it was those first few years when I would when I first started being the head of licensing or the SVP of business and legal affairs was like I was doing everything I could to get DSPs to start talking to us but now that it makes so much money and so many fan, every uh every fan has probably some band that they know that they think nobody else knows about uh it, like that that sort of culture and the the impact to our society, all all this stuff happened because of that moment, uh, largely. Um, Yeah, it's just, it's it's, uh, unfathomable to me sometimes, but I got to be there. So I know it actually happened, it's very real. (laughs) you have to pinch myself
0: you are there um so so things have obviously evolved in the digital marketplace since then you know uh, and as we mentioned cd uh, well physical sales declined downloads started increasing at the same time you know it, it took until 2015 for uh, things overall to stop the downward tilt and start turning around and starting to rise again and people who are consumers of music who are listening to this know you know they've probably switched from downloading to streaming um, so that's been a, a major evolution over the nas- last number of years and it is a different world today um, in terms of uh, how CD baby works in this digital distribution space it's not just iTunes and it's not just Spotify right mm-hmm. um, so so today can you, you tell people a little bit on that on the down uh, on the digital distribution front you know what is digital distribution like today for an independent artist through CD Baby, um, as opposed to, you know, there was one place, iTunes, really, in 2003.
1: Yeah, now there's places everywhere. And we all know the big ones like uh, Spotify, YouTube Music, Apple, uh, Pandora, all those, we know the big ones. There's these new ones coming out of, uh, as we just, uh, as we recognize that there's an independent sector globally everywhere, Uh, we're just learning more and more about all these places. Um, Gosh. So what's funny to me is like Deezer is a relative, it's not a new platform for me, but it's a new platform for me to have access to, but it's huge in Europe, especially France. It's huge in Brazil. That's where everybody wants to be right now. At least what I hear uh, from our reps down there. Uh, Let's see here. Boomplay out of Africa has maybe more uh, subscribers than uh, some of the huge uh, platforms out of the US. Uh, Jukes, all these different places. What's really cool about it though is in order for them to compete, they have to present a different offering than just uh, what Amazon Music provides. So Amazon Music is really cool and how it is competing is that they also let you sell physical off of their platform and they connect with a little bit in a different way than what Spotify does. Spotify is the biggest, uh, but it's also the only platform out there that only focuses on music. Apple is huge too, of course, iTunes, but it is Apple. It's selling these other products. So everybody's kind of coming in with a different uh, angle uh, and different offering of what the fan, the kind of environment or the experience that the fan really wants to have. One of my favorites that uh, I am glad to see more or more fans and listeners hear about is a website or is a service called Kobuz, Q-O-B-U-Z, that's out of France. What's really cool there is they, everybody has all the catalog. Everybody basically has the same thing. There was this thing called windowing where you would only have like a Beyonce track or a Kanye would track for, for like a couple of months or something like that. But now basically, essentially, everything I want is everywhere. But Kobuz, what they do is there's editorial content in there. So if you're an audiophile and you wanna to listen to the HD audio, a lot of places have HD now. Uh, you can read all about trip hop of the '90s while you're actually listening to their curated playlist of trip hop. It's like those. Are, that's my style of engaging with fans in a genre, and so everybody's able to do something a little bit different. What's happening now with Facebook and TikTok and even Twitch? You're just getting further uh, interactions with sometimes the artists themselves. It's yeah. It's all over the place and everybody's what I really like about the industry right now is everybody is trying to figure out how can I make fans just have a fantastic experience, just the best experience ever, which is nice because though I'm an independent musician, I'm also a fan. Uh, and I know that the way I want to interact with my artists are the same way that my fans want to interact with me. So yeah, it's just, it's just kind of happiness left and right. Uh, but yeah, um, there's, there's, I don't know, maybe certain sectors and ages kind of, I recognize that I'm not always the most advanced when it comes to certain apps sometimes. I'm really <laughs> glad to, to work in a community that knows, like everybody at CD Baby knows a bunch of stuff. Everybody's kind of aware of something different that's going on. But what I really like is, you know, everybody's trying something different out. And so uh, we released a a pie chart of the total royalties paid out to artists, depending on DSP. And the big ones are on there, Amazon, Spotify, YouTube. But these newer ones like Facebook, uh, again, Deezer is in there. Uh, it's uh, Sometimes I can be a little too US-centric uh, to recognize that there's a lot of... So what I really like about the pie chart is most artists go, that's where my revenue comes from but I can see that revenues could come from everywhere else. I need to figure out a strategy about how to go after those. It reminds me of when I was in green rooms as a touring musician and get to talk to one of the headliners and ask them, where are you making your money these days? Now you can see, oh, uh, I don't have a YouTube music strategy. I don't have a YouTube Shorts strategy. I need to figure that out. And then because there's clear uh, revenues and royalties available for artists if I, if I figure out how to do it right.
0: Well, you know, you, you bring up two really... Uh, critical points there you know you guys distribute content to over 150 um outlets you know that is again you know itunes to 101 to 150 and the fact that there's so many international outlets you know again like the contrast is just amazing like if you imagine that that You were an artist, a successful artist on a record company in the 70s. And, you know, uh, you've been asleep for a while. And I said to you, you could get your music in all these countries like you you can. And, And, you know, product, physical product distribution, you know, very few had real access to global distribution. And generally speaking, you know, even if you were able to get your CD in some shop in France, if you didn't have money to market in France, no one was going to buy it. Um, so the access to not only all of these, you know, really sort of niche services that are bringing something special to the to the table, but the fact that you have you can get your music in front of people all over the globe um, is is also pretty mind blowing and quite a journey from where from where it was. Um, and the yeah, fact so, that you're yeah, go ahead, please.
1: Oh, well, I was just going to jump in. That what. Uh... What I like about it is I don't know five years ago I was listening to a head of one of the majors speak about what's the value add that majors provide when you're looking at you know competition from these independent uh, distributors labels services uh, that they that they said well one of the biggest things that we can provide is the logistics of global release with it a perfectly timed global release when Beyonce releases an album or a track it is coordinated globally in this way that was just Herculean five years ago. Uh, And now it's like, I can do that for every track that comes through our door. Uh, There's no, so just the things that used to, you used to have to have some massive infrastructure for, a CD Baby has that infrastructure, but it's just uh, digitized and available to independent musicians who maybe you'll make $100 a year off of their music. They can still get their track into every place in the entire world uh, like that, and and it's just going to continue to make it easier and, and, and more sophisticated. And back to your original point, or uh, not your original point, but a point a while ago, the data that you have access to, all of it, uh, you can go onto Spotify for artists, Amazon for artists. You can look and see, oh, uh, this is a playlist that they're listening to me on. This is a territory, the city uh, that they're picking me up on, all that stuff is super powerful for the independent musician right now to be able to use to kind of guide and, and, uh, and direct uh, their next efforts.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going to go next was the data. And, and, you know, you look backwards and you think, wow, everybody was flying so blind. And you couldn't really strategize because you had no idea what to do, where to do it, if it was working, like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's just a different world. Um, so let's, let's build on this. Because I think this, the fact that it is a different world speaks to these evolving needs of an independent artist. So, in 2003, you also launched something called Host Baby, which basically was website hosting for independent musicians. I know nowadays we all think, oh, you know, get a Wix or a Squarespace, but you have to understand what website hosting was like um, back in 2003. That wasn't for the faint of heart. Um, and and since then, you've really you've expanded this, this approach of continuing to offer services beyond distribution services to, to independent artists um, and to kind of meet them where they are, what they need at that time in the industry. So, you know, over the years, what are some of those additional services that CD Baby has offered and, and why did those get added to the mix of offerings?
1: Yeah, so I, let's hear. Uh, We talked about it a little bit earlier about how we were just selling CDs, but then we found out, well, if we provide this data, independent music, we have a huge value add. If we just give them some direction or some education on that data, Uh, we were sending them their emails. Here's when to reach out, here's what to say. And through that deeper relationship and rapport that we were building with the artists, we were all artists and we knew what the pain points were of being a starving musician and uh, trying to do our best but we also realized that we had a voice that we could really, in a position of, uh, I guess, power to really do something about services for these artists. What's really, ho- and, and I guess scale is key. So what's really hard to do is when you have 10 artists and you build some sort of artist services thing, but when you have 30,000 artists, 100,000 artists, now CD Baby works with about a million, uh, you can do things at scale and that really helps a bunch of people. Uh, at once. So that's ultimately what Host Baby was all about was the artists need something different than kind of the current things that are out there. Will we make money off of it? I don't know. But let's at least put in some efforts to try to help our artists because anytime we help out an artist, the more that our artists succeed, the better it is for everybody. So we really started engaging in, well, we're not just a, a, a CD distributor. We're not, we don't just sell CDs on on a website. We're kind of champions and advocates for independent musicians about what else they need. And so it's in our DNA to consistently question: What else do artists need? And is it something that the the reason that they can't access it is because of elitism? Can we fix that because of scale? And so we're a tech company, artist centric. Uh, we're all, we're all many of us are in, uh, independent musicians ourselves. So yeah, let's just put our efforts towards the things that we care the most about and we know will make the most impact. So yeah, Host Baby was a easy win. We did some other things where we focused on books, we focused on films and it just didn't take off in the same way that really for us to go. We're a music company. Let's just keep focusing on the music. Uh, Derek wanting to get up at iTunes was based off of that same ethos of like, well, that would help artists and we could do that because we're at scale. And then eventually, well, why would we Deliver them to streaming sites. Everybody hated streaming sites for a little while because of the royalties that they were paying out. we are like, Fartist want it. Let's get them there. Let's try to help them get there if that's what their options are. So yeah, we were just always felt like advocates and champions uh, that run a music tech company. So let's just put our efforts into where they should be.
0: So what are some of the different services you offer now? Because, you know, and I, I suspect that if you ran down the list, one of the last ones, the more recent ones, you know, you've started even branching into providing some help on the song publishing side of, of, the, of the, the industry, which has been touching my life in some of my, my other life uh, work in addition to what I do at the university. So, you know, just to help, uh, help our, our listeners understand the kinds of services that, independent artists really need these days to navigate the the industry and cut through the clutter to get their music heard? What are some of those services you have now?
1: Yeah. So uh, let's see here. Uh, As you said, publishing is a big one for us. So uh, this is always a tricky world. So I always want to make sure everybody understands what we're talking about. But you have the sound recording, which is basically like what's on the album that I'm listening to. But then you have the underlying work or the composition, basically what you write out before the band plays it and records it, recording sound uh, and the composition. Uh, The composition world for publishing uh, these DSPs and radio and places like that uh, will not uh, well, they have to pay out a royalty for the publishing as well. And so that's a really complicated environment. Uh, CD Baby can help with scale or help because we have scale and we're a music technology company. So we said, let's go figure out publishing. What was really cool about the publishing and quick side uh, was as we were starting to build out uh, CD Baby's publishing services, that's when we first heard about a company called SongTrust. There's like a big, long story about our integration with SongTrust and ultimately how it introduced us to Downtown Music Holdings, which is our current holding company. But yeah, we found SongTrust who basically had the same mission that we did. We wanted to do sound recordings for independent musicians. It wanted to do publishing for independent musicians. So we just kind of matched up. And if you sign up at CD Baby and you want publishing services, it's actually powered by SongTrust. Uh, what was some other really big ones? Uh, so let's see. Here.
0: YouTube. I mean, so those two things alone, like, you know, it's amazing to me how what seems like you guys have spotted places where independent artists are leaving money on the table. Like there, there's money there and they, they're just not able to get in and grab what's theirs. And that, that, that song trust relationship there, so many independent artists write their own songs and they're not getting, you know, some of that money due to them because publishing on some levels, even more complicated than the recording side of the world. So, you know, you stepped in and you're like, these artists now they're entitled to these other revenue streams and they don't, have necessarily the ability to collect that money. So YouTube is another great example of that. Maybe you can speak to that one for a minute.
1: Yeah, for sure. So YouTube's one of the largest uh, you know payout for royalties for our artists is YouTube music. And that was a ever evolving relationship where, you know, uh, YouTube at one point had a bit of the pariah vibe that Napster had for a moment. And then YouTube said, we want to pay royalties. Help us do this. Uh, CD Baby, you, you're able to clear a whole bunch of licenses. Why don't you do that for us? And so, yeah, uh, you can go and sign up directly with YouTube and you can upload your content. But if you've ever had that thing where if you upload a video and then it comes, you wake up the next morning and it, it's down because there's some sort of rights thing, there's this thing called content ID uh, or the CID system where it actually has audio fingerprints. It's able to recognize, oh, I just uploaded a video, but in the background is a Lady Gaga track. It's able to identify that and say, hey, do you want to, if you want to upload this, we're going to put a commercial in it and all that commercial money is going to go to Lady Gaga. Uh, we can do that though. And so they don't even have to clear it by, they already pre-cleared it by Lady Gaga. So ultimately CD Baby does the same thing. So you can go up there and upload those things, things you well, same things yourself, But instead of uh, needing a major distributor to be able to collect those royalties, CD Baby does that for you as well. So you sign up with us, we have your catalog, we will go and collect the the royalties, whether it's your own music video or it was a fan who uploaded. what What I really like about YouTube these days is when an artist releases an album and then reaches out to all their fans and says, hey, we want you to do a cover song of our track. Uh, and perform it, or not a cover song, but we want you to dance to it or make your own music video or whatever those sorts of things are. And those will actually send royalties back to the artist. You don't have to get them pre-cleared. It's all through YouTube. So yeah, we, uh, you can upload directly and kind of take care of some of that yourself, but the value add for CD Baby is we take care of it all, all of it for you. You don't have to navigate it as well as we actually pay out. We have a better commercial rate than what you're able to get directly from YouTube. Uh, and also we collaborate really well. this YouTube shorts, and they're opening up internationally uh, for for some of these other tools and features. Uh, CD Baby is making sure that and our competitors do similar things. Don't get me wrong, but we just make sure that we're keeping your content at the forefront of those additional services. But um, gosh, uh, what's a good example? Uh, Spotify has something like sixty thousand new tracks a yeah. day. And so
0: a day a day yeah. 60,000 new tracks a day are uploaded to Spotify right so that's the competition that's that's what's what you have yeah. to somehow or another have people find your music. Um, that's mind blowing yeah, so
1: so distrib- so how do you cut through that noise so CD baby again music tech company that works at scale that's very focused on championing and advocating for independent musicians, what's the next problem they're having as they're going, hey, Joel, I signed up my album. It's at Spotify, how, now what do I do? Or it's at Spotify, how do I cut through the noise? And so we've been really focusing on what we call the artist promotional tools. We have uh, one of them that's called Here Now, which is basically like a smart links generator that also does a bunch of other things that other smart links pages don't do. But uh, what is it, um, when, I was, uh, when I was a touring musician, I would yell from the stage, uh, hey, we're selling CDs in the back, go buy our CD. Uh, now, when I still perform, uh, it's kind of like, you can find our content at this place and 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 all these different places. Now it's, it, it should, the solution there is to kind of go, because you lose fans, they wanna to listen to you right there instead of try to figure out how to find your content. So we have this Smart Links page that basically you land on that page and you click which platform you like to listen to through. And then it sends you immediately to that website. What's also really nice is it's collecting user data so you can follow up with them later and you know where it's coming from and all those sorts of things. So those are called Smart Links. It's not uniquely at CD Baby, but our here now Smart Links do a lot more than our our competitors do. It's helping you cut through the noise because your fans are going directly to listen to you. Another one is show.co and that, uh, so it does pre-saves and pre-ads. Uh, so if my track is, I know my single is going to drop in about a month. Uh, I can basically get a little signup list for all my fans to make sure that the day that it launches, they get an email or a message to go, Hey, Joel's track was just released at Apple click here and it'll take you right there. So you're basically just signing up for these lists for pre-saves and pre-ads mm-hmm. show.co does that for free uh there's some kind of paid upgrades and then we also do digital ads um so we have what we call the ad builder you can go to Facebook you can go to uh Google ads and you can spend a lot of money really quickly uh and not really get the results that you want but uh yeah like you're on Amazon and then you see this you see you're searching for shoes on Amazon and then you're on Facebook and you see those same shoes that sort of Targeted digital ads is the space that we're stepping into for our ad builder product and similar with song trust, we started building out publishing found song trust. We partnered up and they were able to empower it uh, all of our digital ads are actually powered by our sister company Foundy. Uh So though show.co is very much focused on independent musicians because it's complicated Foundy is powerful stuff that you kind of need to be a little more sophisticated around. But if you just have two hundred bucks and you want your album's going to get released, or you want to go on tour and focus ads on a specific area, we'll make sure that your ads are played on Spotify or Facebook or whatever is important to you. So we're yeah, just always. What's fun about my job is we just get to think about what other problems are independent musicians having. Well, that. That's
0: exactly it, because let me tell you, as a professor of music industry, and and I speak on a lot of panels, and let's say there's a new thing, right? Oh, Facebook's going to have music, and oh, okay. So the question I always get is, so how do I get paid? Like, how am I going to get paid? (laughs) And normally, my first answer, because, you know, Bruno Mars is not usually in the audience at these conferences, right? He's not asking me. It's independent artists asking me, okay, that cool new thing, that's awesome, how do I get paid? And my answer almost always has to be, there is no way for you to tap into that at this stage, right? In the early days of almost everything out there, like when Facebook's like, oh, we're going to lean into music and you're reading articles that they've signed a contract with Sony and they've signed a contract with Universal. At that stage, at the very, like the very, very beginning, when some of these new things come come about, come into existence, there isn't a way for independent artists to get in on that. They can get their content there, but they can't get paid usually because most of these opportunities are not the kind of thing where they can just sign up directly and, you know, the money just transfers into their PayPal account. That's not the way most of these platforms work. They only work with sort of corporate suppliers of information. And so um, I can't even count the number of times where there's been some new thing, and everyone's like this is so awesome how do i get that money and i'm like you can't right now you can't yeah. and then about two months later or you know something i'll be in our oh, No, you can you can go through cd baby or your competitors at times but the point is that you know companies like cd baby have this seat at the table with these other you know massive content companies and so these doors to tap into these revenue sources are open for independent artists, and and without companies like CD Baby, they would be shut out of it all. You know, it's it really is amazing.
1: Yeah, I see the uh, JD in your title. Uh, I'm an attorney, yeah. so uh, at the way that we have CD Baby is an industry solution, not just to independent musicians, but to those platforms as well. Mm-hmm. So those platforms right. are uh, at a digital visionary who's like, I'm going to create something that nobody's thought of before. And they get out there and they start doing it and they get a bunch of traction and TikTok's blown up and its competitors are blown up. And then some, eventually they get big enough that they're like, we should probably hire some in-house counsel. <laughs> they hire some in-house counsel and the counsel goes, so how are we clearing? These guys <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> how are we doing that? And so that's what CD baby's job is. We represent about 10 million tracks. Our, our strategy is to go to these platforms and say, Hey, uh, we can go dark and dirty road if that's what you want to do. But otherwise we could just, we're just trying to get independent musicians paid and we'll clear 10 million tracks for you. And you'll actually get pre-cleared 10 million tracks. That's like a hockey stick moment where they are going from consistent growth and then suddenly 10 million more tracks. Uh, Yeah. We're an industry solution to these places. And I, I hope that, um, Whether an artist, I hope that artists understand that whether they're at CD Baby or one of our competitors, that really that's the value add that we're supposed to bring, Uh, and that's what I think CD Baby is bringing is we're figuring out. So what's a good example? Is like NFTs. I get questions all the time like how do I how do I get my how do I make money off of NFTs? And it's like well we explain it. We do a lot Mm -hmm. of education around. Well, there's like a four hundred dollar investment in order to be able to connect your digital content. To a, a blockchain uh, transaction,
0: minting mint, an mint NFT exactly. Yeah,
1: all this stuff is like pretty complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe the answer isn't always here's how to make money from it. Sometimes it's just we want you to understand what to look for. But then in other places where it's like Twitch, Twitch mm-hmm. is paying out massive money mm-hmm. to uh, some creator uh, to a lot of creators. They're doing great, but they also kind of have a different model for how they clear music in the background. Uh, some Places like Amazon and Spotify, they go pre-clear, uh, Peloton pre-clears. Uh, that was a big one recently where they kind of got in some hot water, yes, Twitch yes. does this kind of uh, notice and takedown process. And so they have a different strategy. We're continually advocating for them to have a different approach to kind of how they clear those licenses. But ultimately, we are able to go here. Yeah, an artist wants their content to be pre-cleared on Twitch. We can't, there's no money yet, but that's what we're consistently advocating for. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's our value yeah. add. That's what we used to do was just kind of go, hey, this could be terrible or super easy. Let's just do the easy route and just pay a bunch of independent musicians a bunch of money and let's call it a day And well, start working on
0: it. It's so great that you use the word easy. I mean, I think the fact is the music business is more complicated than ever actually. Okay. It's, it has not gotten simpler. It is 10 times more complicated. Like every year it, it gets exponentially more complicated. So, so what exactly is independent artist to do? They are not going to become an expert in every single aspect of the industry that continues to get more and more complicated. Like they would never have a single waking moment, you know, to make music if that was their entire mission. So that's the kind of thing that that CD Baby does in that, it, it it's it's access, but it's it's so much more than that because it is advocacy, right? This these these sort of this this kind of an organization like CD Baby that's there for independent artists makes it easy for them because you do the hard stuff, you know, you figure it out, you create content of educational content for for artists, which I want to talk about next. You go to the negotiating table with the big companies that would never, ever talk to an independent artist directly. They are just they just wouldn't. And that doesn't scale. Um, so a, a really, really complicated industry that, you know, when artists say to me, like, can you explain all this to me? I'm like, I can, but I a lot of it is not going to stick. What you're better off spending the time on is trying to figure out what company you want to associate with, partner with, engage with that is gonna um, do right by you, as opposed to you trying to navigate these waters yourself. And, and you're gonna run into so many closed doors anyway, if you were trying to actually do it on your own, it's not even possible. Yeah, and
1: um, my parallel is that I'm the bass player. Uh, and so that means that I'm probably doing a lot of the uh, business side of the deals. Uh, I wasn't writing, I wasn't out in front, I wasn't writing the songs. So my role is frequently working from my cell phone in the back of the van when we are touring, trying to book the next gig, trying to make sure that our label is happy, all those sorts of things. So yeah, every band or artist is a micro business and they're, they have to think of themselves as needing a team uh, because all these responsibilities have to happen. Some artists love doing the business side. I was one of those. That's really fun for me, but you still need somebody to do that biz. And that's ultimately what the goal of CD baby is, is to, be everything that an independent artist needs to be successful in their own terms, is let us take care of the biz side. We really want you to just go make more music and be heard. Uh, let us help you with digital ads. Make sure you do it right. Make sure that once your content goes up at Spotify, it stays up at Spotify because we pre-cleared everything to make sure that there's no issues. So yeah, let us figure out the nuts and bolts. And we know we need it because the rest of my bands needed it. Uh, and so, yeah, we just get to focus on this side of it. So again, artists can just go be heard, go make more music, not worry about it, and we send them checks. Exactly. Also, I tried to be in a. Uh, I was very interested in becoming a tax attorney at one point. <laughs> really? Uh, I find that stuff really fascinating. I still do, uh, or I still find that stuff very really fascinating, and went to a couple of kind of speaker panels. And uh, I talked to a couple of attorneys at lunches, and they were just like, "Man, what you do in the music industry is crazy!" Oh, it's crazy. What we do in tax—it's like, "Yep." Yeah,
0: it it makes tax look easy. Yeah, it it really makes tax look easy, and it doesn't get simpler. Um, It just doesn't get simpler. So,
1: so. But let's focus on that. That's what we want to focus on, and we're really good at it. So,
0: absolutely.
1: And that's a value add that our competitor, the really good competitors, the ones that keep me up, they're doing the same thing, they're approaching it, uh, is like, let us fix this stuff, you just make music, don't worry, it's like signing to the perfect label, we'll take care of everything for you, you just go make money and have fun and be a uh, go play some more shows.
0: Yeah, it just, it takes so much more than just getting your music on the digital shelves these days. That that doesn't, that's barely moves the needle. Um, well, let's talk for a few more minutes before we kind of start to wrap it up a bit about that educational side of things. I, I will say, Again, as a professor, you know, I use the content that you guys put out there for independent musicians all the time in my classes, Um, it is fantastic. um, And it's free and it's out there um, on your website, but in addition to all that kind of educational content on the website, you guys have been hosting a conference. um, Since 2015 DIY in the music business when we say DIY it, it does mean kind of like home improvement right do it yourself um that's what we mean by diy do it yourself and your conference is called diy musician conference or at least it, it, it 2015 yeah. when you launched it um so so what made you want to do this conference and there's a lot of music industry conferences out there i know um but this sub, this one seems a bit different what what makes it different why does how does it meet this need what
1: is the need yeah, so uh it's it's DIY Musician Conference because it's a conference for DIY musicians. We go to countless, to your point, we go to countless music industry conferences and uh, no critique of South By, but what South By is trying to do is to pull together the entire music industry for a celebratory event. It's not, it's kind of hard sometimes as an independent musician you find really valuable content there. There's maybe, it's just not the priority of the event. It's trying to do something much bigger. DIY Musician Con is just information that you want to know about kind of upping and leveling, or leveling up your career. So uh, we bring out artists who have and interview them who have really fascinating uh, trajectories or objectives, or they had like mission-based art or something like that, that we really want these musicians to learn a lot about. Uh, We bring out the DSP partners, Spotify and YouTube. They come out and speak specifically about, well, this isn't for the Beyonce's. This is for the independent musicians. Here's what you really need to know about our platform. And it's that for three days, uh, basically from nine o'clock until five o'clock every day, just pure information. How we got there, other than just recognizing a need, was we started a Back to us educating artists about when to reach out to their fans. We just realized we know this stuff. We're really good at it. And maybe some things that are extra complicated that we don't know yet, we have the resources and access uh, to certain people who do. So information about the NLC or sound exchange when it was new, all those sorts of things are pretty big. So we started, we had a blog uh, and then we started a podcast and it was the number one music podcast on Apple for... I don't know how long, uh, but it's a, uh, our, you know, a couple people from marketing, a bunch of different guests who come in and just talk about here's what's going on with the music industry. We hear some other music podcasts and they're just kind of general ads and how to, how tos on their products. These are real things that are we take uh, questions from users or from artists. We answer those questions. We talk about our own experiences because of people who are speaking on them, we're touring, performing, recording musicians, uh, and so through that podcast enough, we started doing these little breakout meetups for each town. Essentially, artists just kept asking for more. You can go to DIYMusician.com and read our blog. So we started publishing a bunch of stuff there. We still have our DIY Musician podcast, and that's why in 2015 we were like. We, I, Artists are demanding this. Uh, A little secret is we don't make we lose money off of that conference every year, but it's so important. It's just part of our mission. uh, Artist education and empowerment, champion and advocacy uh, for independent musicians, it's part of our mission. Uh, Again, when our artists do better, everybody does better. So we really put a lot of effort in there. Uh, Quick plug I don't know if I'm allowed to. We're having a virtual conference uh, August 26th through 28th. It's free. You just go to diymusician.com and we'll have some information for you. It's free. We're gonna bring out a bunch of speakers from DSPs, all the stuff that we would do normally in person and we'll get there next year. It's in Austin, but this year it's virtual. Come join us. Uh, I get to interview some cool artists, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, But yeah, that's a big one for us. 1500 people each year come out and just get taught on how to be an independent musician. It's cool stuff.
0: Wow. So I've got uh, two questions left for you. So, okay. So here's my here's my scenario, right? Um, and I, I kind of hinted at this a little bit before. Let's pretend that you had a, a there was a successful artist in the 70s and we kind of put them in like cryo freeze, right? They've been like on ice, you know, on ice since the 70s. And, and now they're, they've thought out and we're trying to explain to them. What is it like today? How would you describe to them who, who, who the last thing they knew was, if you didn't have a record label, forget about it, right? How would you describe to them what the marketplace is like now in terms of the kind of access and the tools that independent artists have? How would you describe today's
1: world? Yeah, the contrast. Um, it's faster than it ever was before. I think that that would be the number one thing that would blow my mind is what used to be maybe a year long progress. You would write some songs, you'd go tour them for a little while, see if, see what stuck. Eventually you'd get back to the studio, you'd probably work through the studio for a while, would get released ma- or get mastered, all these different kind of steps along the way until it finally got to the pressing plant, and then that could take for who knows how long then it comes back to a release strategy that has to get coordinated globally. You're talking maybe a year uh, to be fast for a release. Now, if you have a fantastic idea for a song, it's on every platform tomorrow. Uh, And it's recorded in your basement, it's recorded on your phone, it's recorded straight out of whatever MIDI interface or computer you got. It's uploaded to our website immediately. We've distributed it out to all of our partners. You've emailed every fan that you've ever had before about how it's dropping tomorrow. They're going to get a reminder in the morning. It's going to pop up and here's what what, what I need to go listen to on Spotify. That sort of like, that's just bonkers to me that you can do that at that speed. And then that speed allows for uh, mass volume in a different way than I think that would be the next thing that would blow my mind is. 60,000 tracks per day at Spotify. But what, what would be, I think where a, a, a cryo freeze musician would start gaming the system and this is what's happening now at least is, well, if I can release a content or a track globally and it, it's that fast, why aren't I releasing something every day, every week, maybe every month and just kind of hash it out and just be like what used to be a, Uh, I remember when I recorded my first album, our engineer was like, you have to pay $10,000 for recording. This was like Nashville rules. You have to pay minimum $10,000, otherwise you couldn't guarantee its success. Now it's like, well, I already have the app on my phone. Why not just plug everything in and just kind of do it? And there's already a drummer that kind of like AI and all these different pieces and get it up and just do a million of those and see what hits instead of being like, well, these songs have to be perfect if we're going to put $100,000 into the recording because we have to recoup $100,000 before make any profit. Now it's just chug, 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 chug. And so that would be shifting as well. They would be, have critiques of like, well, it's not high quality and you know, all that sort of stuff. But it is. It, the caliber of what's coming out of somebody's phone right now is leaps and bounds of independent studios, let alone some A-class studios from the 70s, 80s, and even 90s. So yeah, uh, speed and just volume would just be it's radically different. And I, and I don't think that, that that's go, going anywhere uh, anytime soon. And uh, almost to the immediacy of like what Twitch is doing right now is it's not even into distribution, it's into immediate consumption because you're going to watch my channel. And it's just like, things are, I don't know how you get faster than that, but somebody's going to figure it out.
0: Someone will going to figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That That evolution of, you know, access to be able to make lower cost recordings, access to the, the store, access to information about what was happening and education about what to do with all this access and information. You know, it's, it's just been this amazing evolution. So now I'm going to ask you to look in your crystal ball for a minute. Last question. Um, so, so that same question I just asked you, how would you describe what's happening today, right? What, what is it? What does the landscape look like for an artist today five years from now? if I said to you, hey, Joel, so, so you know, tell me about what's, what's exciting you right now about what independent artists are able to do or have access to. What do you think you might be answering that question within five years from now?
1: Five years from now is, I think it's going to be what is, ultimately what is a musician and what is not a musician let alone what is a professional musician or a paid musician, or does anybody even care anymore? I think that that's where five years from now, I think my generation was very much about you were either a musician or you were not. And I think the next generations are starting to question that considerably. And now, uh, 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 Irving Azoff had a quote that he was like, what he really wants from YouTube is for there to be, uh, is for, to, to make sure that the next, Kurt Cobain doesn't become a dentist instead. And I think that that's back to my generational concept of either you are a dentist or you are a musician. I think the future state is going to be, are you Kurt Cobain and a dentist? And I think it's gonna, the it, the overlapping of what it means to be a professional musician is ultimately where I think we're going. And I really love it because I think that humans are musical. I think it's necessary. And I think it's quite problematic that Elitism says that you're not a musician. I have a lot of friends from my twenties that were better musicians than I ever was that don't play music anymore because life got serious. And they said, I'm not a professional musician. I'm gonna stop and now all their gears dusty. And they're probably paying for therapy because they are a musician and they need to play music. And I think that that's some of the big systemic social problems that uh, the, uh, I get to help. Uh, I don't have to come up with the solutions. I just get to help implement them. Uh, if, some really smart people are coming up with new ideas of how like, so why aren't you just constantly like recording an album or why can't I just constantly listen to kind of like the music that Sirona's like humming or some like some other engagement than purely I am a world-class musician. And so I validated my position as a musician or not versus maybe it's a mix and maybe I get to have you, perform uh, at my dinner table from the VR and all these different things and yeah, engagement and what is a musician and these platforms like Twitch and TikTok really challenging Uh, because at least today you can be a basement, you can be a basement, you can be living in your parents' basement recording platinum level tracks and never leave your parent. I've heard these stories that the parents don't even know that they have 1 million subscribers on YouTube that sort of stuff. And I think that that is just going to continue to compound and go kind of like, well, why aren't I a dentist and a musician? Or why can't I do both? And those are good things to me. It's going to totally mess up the music industry, which is what's great. It needs to get continually checked.
0: I think you it. love that. It's, I was like, and I think you definitely enjoy messing up the music industry for the better.
1: Why <laughs> not no, keep going. We only but started, I mean, exactly. we only started. Yeah, was, I'm excited for who gets to talk back about the, decisions that CD Baby made 10 years ago, which will be my regime. I really like this, like this question to think about like, yeah, what are they going to say about like, yeah, Joel was, Joel had it together, but he really missed like, <laughs> how great it could be. And yeah, that's good future thinking. I like it. Excellent.
0: Well, Joel, this has been so much fun. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. I learned a ton. I hope that those uh, who've been listening or watching us have learned a ton as well. So thank you very, very much for joining me. Um, And thank you to our audience. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning into Frost Sounds. um, And we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks. Bye, Joel. Thanks so
1: much for having me, Serona. Good to see everybody. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Bye-bye.